Hello and welcome everyone to Roleplay Chat. This is Matt, and I am a game master who just cannot stop talking about role-playing games. Today we are going to talk about factions and faction building, and I have the honor to introduce to you Koa, the game master and uh, game designer, or I guess supplement designer. Supplement Koa. designer, a little bit of both. Thank you yeah. very much, Matt. Hello there, I'm Koa. Yes, I uh, also am a DM. I talk about D&D way too much, um, and I make a lot of sort of online content for D&D 5e, mostly supplemental content. Awesome. Great, great. Well, really happy to have you, Koa. You happy to be kinda, here. You saved me because I didn't have a guest tonight, and last minute Koa came in. So you guys have to, you know, give him, give him all the support. Go find him on Twitter and give him a follow and buy his stuff. We'll, we'll plug all oh, that stuff you, a little you, bit later. <laughs> But yeah, so before we before we talk about factions, Koa, I wanted to I wanted to ask you a little bit about mm -hmm. yourself so the listeners can, you know, become familiar with you as a as a player and game master. So why don't you give us the spiel, you know, where did you start? How long have you been in the hobby? Uh favorite favorite campaign or favorite setting, stuff like that, and, and then we'll yeah. get into the meat. Sure, sounds good. Well, hello again, in case you forgot my name, I'm Koa. Uh, I've been playing D&D for probably around, like, I think now it's like six or seven years, and I think for, it's like I dipped my toes first in, first in like, fourth edition, and I, like, left it for, like, a year, and then I came back to fifth edition, and I've been playing ever since then. I've been DMing, I think, for, like, four out of those, like, six or seven years, so almost all my time has just been sort of DMing and stuff like that. Um, I made, was the fool to kind of like, oh, 5th edition, I'll start DMing it. And then realizing, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I didn't start with any any campaign setting. I didn't start with any modules or anything like that. I kind of just jumped right in and was like, I'll make everything up. And, oh boy, that went well. But it's still going well. I'm actually still running that campaign that I started very first time in 5th edition. They're now level, I think, 17. And we start at level 1, which is a very unique experience that I'm super happy to do. That's um, awesome. So it's been the yeah. same, the same group of people, the same, same setting. Same group of people, same setting. It's like we watched it all grow out. I started with this Colosseum, and we just had a, a super basic fight. We had nothing, no idea what we were doing in fifth edition. Um, and then we, st I just world built from there. And then we started making a story together, and we're still playing. It's a lot harder to meet now since we've all graduated college, but we're still trying to meet at least once a month to try and wrap up the campaign. That's fantastic. I'll, I'm kind of jealous. I've never. I've never run a game that long. Uh, my first homebrew setting was so miserably broken <laughs> that it died in the first year. It was, you know, that like planning way too much stuff because you just don't know yep. what to plan. That yeah, that happened to me, and I'm I'm kind of glad that that didn't last too long because it was kind of a hot mess. But um, that's really impressive. That. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm impressed. That's really awesome. Did. Uh, did you have to do a lot of tweaks to your home setting or, or did you start really small when you started really small? And then like, I basically did like the town. Okay. They're going to a different town. I'll work on this town and then went out from there. And then eventually I started building everything. I'm like, wait, no, there should be a, like everything around it. But I started going from town to town when I first started. Um, but there's definitely a lot of tweaks that I had to make. I think the, the excuse I gave myself was like, ah, chaos portals. So I can throw any enemy at them that I want because it'll come through a chaos portal. And I spent a lot of time copying and pasting like stat blocks from like online sources and like posting them in this like Google Doc that was a D100 table. And I was like, I could just, I don't know why I spent so much time doing that because I could literally just <laughs> pull up the monster manual and just look at the monster there. But I had to do a lot of edits. 
Yeah, sometimes, you know, we make our job harder than it needs to be. I mean, sometimes it's fun. It's fun to do all that planning. I don't know. If you've got the time to do it, I'd love doing it. Um, but that sounds like a lot of fun. How how many monsters did you have in that in that big? Uh... Oh gosh, I think I did have like closer to like one hundred because I think it was like I have <laughs> one for like a D one hundred and like me small brain not knowing what like you know CR is or challenge rating is or how is a how is a gale of Dur gonna fit when they're in like when they're in the city and I was like <laughs> I I really didn't think a lot of that out but hey it was a start. Hey, we gotta we gotta start somewhere. And for sure. We, we you know, I mean I'm still making dumb mistakes as I'm doing this. I've been in this hobby for gosh, almost ten years now. And yeah, it's uh yeah, you you, you just keep making mistakes. As long as we learn from them, that's the exactly. important part. Um I no longer and, have that list anymore. <laughs> and you know, and and even if you did, I, that'd be cool. Um, but now that we're you know, we're talking about learning, that's what we're here to do today. You know, th this is a journey that we're taking here with our audience. So today, we're going to talk about uh, what we've learned as it relates to faction building mm -hmm. and uh, and factions in. I mean, it's homebrew settings or not. I think both both apply. But sure. uh, before we dig too much into all these little nooks and crannies of, of factions, I think we need to first define our terms. It's something that we like to right. do on on the podcast. Here is is you know what do we mean by a faction? What's a faction? What isn't a faction? That kind of thing. So mm. I, I'll throw you the bone. I'll let you start the definition, and then I'll try to complete it. But uh, to you, what is a faction? I think for me, a faction is a sovereignty or a group of people that have a goal. And I think that's like the most bare bones definition I can think of. That's good, though. Bare bones is good because then it includes a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll... I really find it interesting that you you kind of pinpointed sovereignty. Is there a reason for that? I think I just like the use of sovereignty, the word, because it encompasses a lot of stuff. Um, okay. Because it's okay. saying that there's like a group. <laughs> it's like it's a it's a power. What power? I don't know. It could be like three people. It could be like a group of eight mages that are like controlling like the the space time like continuum or whatever. Or it could be like a group of like sixteen peasants that want to like revolt against like the government that they're with i think like i think that by technicality they're both sovereignties the level of power is obviously different but it can it can vary their power level i think just so long as they have a a general goal in mind i think to me that's what defines a faction to begin with awesome that's that's great i i mean to add to that i i don't think there's a whole lot to add to be honest that was a really concise definition but uh okay. yeah i mean a, a faction I, I like to draw the distinction too between factions and like nations. You know, it can be a sovereignty. An entire nation could be a faction. Oh, I that's guess. true. But but I feel like generally speaking, that's not the case. You, you know, unless everybody is kind of like united to one to one objective, that's not going to happen very often. That's so true. I kind of have a tendency to separate the nationalities of my homebrewed world or or any kind of setting I'm in. The, you know the cities or the states from factions they're kind of separate mm. things there might be like the king and the king's circle and that could be a faction and kind of all of the the, the people the, the political sphere of an empire or of a kingdom but that'd be far different from a, a merchant guild that's within the same the same the same kingdom um no for sure i totally see that and also like yeah that 
I think that brings up some interesting results because I think there can be like factions within factions, at least because mm. in my mind, I always thought of like, uh, when I've designed some like governmental entities, they were designed with a specific like goal in mind. And so in the ideal world, according to them, everyone underneath that same umbrella will have that same goal, but that's just not the case. Like you're saying, there could be like the king's circle has a different goal. So it could be like a literal faction within that government. So I think that's also like an interesting kind of thing here is that factions, it depends on how big they are because you could have it where some people, although they were in here originally to like match with some kind of idea or like, no, we are going to like prove that we're like, like, I don't know, we're going to try and be like Noxus and we're going to try and take over the whole world. But there could be like a few like subset of people within there that are like, oh, they, they came in with that idea, but they're trying to do it through like peace as opposed to like war or something like that. I think that's a really important distinction for sure. You can have factions within factions. You can have, uh, I, I really like how you started off too, saying it can be really small, it can be really big. Mm-hmm. I, I think we can also, a faction can grow, it can shrink, it can, it can sure. change. I think that that's important. Um, I think, okay, I think we're good. Do you have anything else to add to, to, to the definition of faction? I think we covered, I mean, if you have not, more, please go I ahead. Think- I think that about covered the definition. I just, I just really like what you said about like the growing of factions. Because I also, I also think when it, when you, when a player can see a faction grow, or when they have tangible change on something that thought they thought was an immutable entity, that's when you can really create like some really interesting dynamics. Is like, no, you have a real place in this world, and like this is like exact things, or these are ramifications of your actions that showcase how you're moving the world. And that's like one of the one of the biggest things I love doing is showing players like, no you have a place in this world. This isn't my world. This is our world. And like what you're doing is affecting everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I, I think what you're saying is, is a really good strategy actually to make factions feel more engaging, to make the factions of your world, you know, evolve with the mm-hmm. actions of the players. Um, if I can piggyback on that, I, I yeah, think sure. one, you know, one example of this is making players part of a faction or making players like build their own faction mm-hmm. this is this is something that has happened to me in the past this is a strategy i employ to to kind of ensure party unification um factions have a lot of strengths and you know what i think this is a, this will be a good segment let's talk about mm-hmm. the strengths of having factions in your game and mm-hmm. i'm going to kick us off by saying Something that I worry about a lot in my games is making sure that my the party of players that I have at my table mm-hmm. have a common goal, have something keeping them a party. I can't yeah. stand betrayal in games. Maybe it's just me, but it drives me crazy when a no, player I, betrays the party. It's I like I totally wow. understand that. I think the motivation issue was something that I had a lot of struggle with in that first that first like campaign that I, I still am running. That was the biggest thing for like almost a year. Is so I was like. I need some kind of motivating factor for them to like feel together and like actually mm-hmm. want to do stuff together. Cause there was a lot of like, it, even if it was small animosity, it was like, they didn't have a collective goal or motivation in mind other than like, Oh, let's save the world. But like at a certain point that becomes dulled out. Um, and I feel yeah. like factions can do a really good job to like bind them together, act as a binding agent for them. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I, I find you know, some people have the preference, like I played in a game once as a player where mm-hmm. after we finished the first main story arc, which was go, you know, go kill the demon that's going to come and destroy the town. Mm-hmm. That that was, we were bound together because we had that core objective that we were trying to achieve. We didn't have a faction. But then mm-hmm. once we did it, 
we didn't have anything keeping us together anymore. So, right. so my game master introduced a faction that we all kind of signed up to mm. and that kept us together. But another approach that I've taken before in my games is I've done the opposite. I've started off game one. You guys are all pirates on the same ship. You know, deal with it. You're 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 a crew now. You're coworkers, right. and I I find that this relationship actually to be an extremely interesting one because you're not brothers or sisters or family. Where like, you know, families can fight and argue, I guess, but right. for the most part, in 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 narrative, in, in stories and movies and things, mm-hmm. families are kind of bound together, and it feels it feels forced. Whereas right. in a faction. If you're a coworker, you know, you're kind of working together. You you have no choice but to work with this person. Mm-hmm. You might not like them, you might have your disagreements, but at the end of the day, you're you gotta you're, work with them. You gotta work with this person. And that's the beauty of a faction, is that you can have your common objective, like we talked about in our definition. Mm-hmm. You can also diverge from that objective in interesting ways while kind of sticking to the trail that that leads you to uh, to the end. Uh, but anyway, that's that's one of the strengths I think of in including players and factions and having factions in your game. Yeah, what are, no, what are some sure. of the things that you, uh, that you think of Koa? I think the, I think that's, that's a really good point. And I think like that works really well, especially for like smaller factions. And I, I think I, I definitely use that when I've started up like, like two shots or three shots is like, I've, I've definitely done like the, the pirate crew, I think twice. Um, it works really <laughs> well. Um, but some of the other things that I really like doing is, um, introducing them in a large faction, I think, has its own strengths as well. Because in those situations where it's like a small, a, a smaller community where they're coworkers and they have to work together, giving them the opportunity where it's like you are part of this larger faction, where their ideals and goals you align with for your whatever you guys may have different goals in mind, but you guys have are all drawn to this similar idea. Like an example is I have one that's called the Library of Ayun or the Eye of Ayun, and their whole thing is about the acquisition of knowledge. It's basically like free magical college for everybody, but the classes are super strenuous and it's really, really difficult. And so players that come in that they all agree, okay, we want to start in this faction. They all have this idea of this pursuit of knowledge, but it's this massive conglomerate, this massive structure that they have to try and navigate together. And at first it may seem like I'm here as like a student maybe, and I'm here as this like smaller figure, but as they continue to progress through the story, they start making connections with different people in the faction. They start moving up the ladders and they start seeing tangible change within this larger entity. And I think those are some of the strengths that I've seen of using these bigger factions that are like almost like governments, but not quite where yeah. they can see change and start pulling on resources with each other. Like if you have like a smaller faction, like a, like a pirate crew, um, there's only so much you can go with that. Obviously you can create into like you can have your own fleet eventually and like maybe make like a pirate city. But like if it's already this bigger organization, you can start to like feel your own power level increase as you start walking up those ladders, as you start rocking, walking up those links and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's kind awesome. of one of the, yeah. How, how, uh, how's the school like structured? I'm getting like Harry Potter vibes, but uh, it, maybe that's. No, 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 totally. Uh, I think Harry, Harry Potter was like one of the original structures that I had in mind because like I want to put include a magical school, but I want it to be like a little bit different. So the way I have it set up and also like I like world building a lot. Um, so like that's <laughs> largely what I do. Um, and I'm always like trying to like pull it back a little bit because I don't want to give too much to the players because then it's like, ah, oh, overwhelmed. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you for asking. Uh, basically, the way it's structured is let me pull up my little document here because I have the whole thing. Um, Perfect. <laughs> but the basics of it, from my understanding, 
here we go. My apologies. Okay, so you start off as you come in, and it's kind of this, there's a student initiate, explicator, inquisitor, or professor, and then undelesson. Um, and undelesson uh, means, I think, uh, the undelesson means stone, I believe, in Latin, and the undelessons are basically, um, they're, there's 12 of them, they're based off the different Iun stones. So there's Ondelesen Tersen, Ondelesen Synastasia, Ondelesen Hindale, which are different, the professors of intelligence, insight, awareness, that are supposed to represent different aspects of the Iun stones. And these are people that are essentially pursuing the, pursuing this like knowledge of like acquisition of like these specific things. So like awareness, mm -hmm. intelligence, and they have their own specific like areas. Like a specialty, I guess, yeah. Yes. Precisely. Um, and so in this sort of eye of Iyun, you come in as a student and the, the main goal of the eye of Iyun is just to collect knowledge so it is available to everyone. Um, obviously, there's some knowledge that they collect that they can't give to everyone like uh, lichdom or vampirism and things like that. And they try and keep that further away. But the main goal is to just like collect knowledge so that anyone has access to it if they desire it. And so that's what it was established on. And so now they have they essentially have these people who are just in charge of this library or what have you. And it's become almost like this school where you can come in as a student um, and you don't have to pay anything. You can come in and learn, but it's just incredibly intensive because of it, because it's free knowledge. Everything's a lot more difficult. There's a lot more people to work with. So you really have to kind of like push, push the limit on like how much you want to study. And then eventually as you start to become a student, you can then become initiate, which gives you access to more of the sort of libraries. Then you can eventually become an inquisitor or an explicator, um, which is basically, um, oh, sorry, explicator, which is basically like, ah, you've been given a little more sort of access. Now you work with one of the owned lesson or one of the professors, and you can start to go out and do your own projects to like help this. So it could be like, oh, you want to basically like almost like declaring a major, but like magically. Yeah. So it's like, I want to find out more about like, this specific culture and they'll be like okay here's the funding that we can give you to go do that thing and then eventually you can eventually go to a professor or inquisitor inquisitors are specifically they're basically more powerful individuals that are allowed to go out and search different stuff and all that stuff i've been talking a lot but yes no, but dude, that, that sounds like a lot of fun and you definitely touched on a couple things that i think are super important when you create a faction i i think and i think they're you know they're some of the things that when you create a faction like this, you bring fantastic elements to your game. One thing that you touched on is these undelescents, you know, these 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 high mages or whatever, you know, I'm not exactly sure what they are, but you know, they're high level in this organization. And by establishing this structure to your organization, you create these you create these high level NPCs into your game that mm -hmm. have that have ties, that have power, and that is explicit to your players you know when, right. when your player sees an npc in a market it's kind of hard to tell is this person important maybe by the right. way they're dressed maybe by the way that they, they keep themselves but when you learn about an npc through the exposition of the faction that you find yourself in it it just becomes like a whole new way of telling players about the people in this world it becomes mm -hmm a way for those characters to have life in them. And, and honestly, sometimes it's kind of hard to disassociate the goals and motivations of the top players of your faction from the goals and motivations of the faction itself. Mm -hmm. so, sometimes they're the same because the person leading the charge is going <laughs> to is, is gonna probably be the one setting the objectives and missions right. and things for, for the faction. But um, this is just a long-winded long, long way of saying 
I, I think factions bring about an interesting way of introducing important NPCs to to your game world um, that sure. you can't really do any other way. I feel. I I would totally agree with that, and I think um, and a huge critical role fan, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this, but I think one of the moments in without as little spoilers as possible, one of the moments that happens in the campaign too is they meet this very powerful figure, and it got to a point where one of the players started getting like physically sweaty and nervous, and mm. I think they wouldn't have had that reaction. They wouldn't have elicited that reaction from them, this feeling of nervousness, if they didn't understand like the weight of the character they are, the player, the, the NPC that they were facing here. And I think when you have a faction, you can create moments like that where you can create these very interesting power dynamics and power struggles and how you want to move forward with that. That wouldn't, like you're saying, if it was just an individual that you had met with or had just like casted a ninth level spell, obviously that would have some big ramifications, big impacts, but I think having that person be a part of a faction where they feel like a integrated, powerful part of the world can really like establish that. And having players giving them the opportunity to interact with that is always like a really interesting thing to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um so we talked about a few of the strengths of of including factions. I think I mean I think when you run a game, you have no choice but to include factions. Maybe that's mm -hmm. just my opinion. But um are are there other elements of factions and you know having players interact with factions that you feel are kind of bring value to your games has there been anything that happened to you in the games you've run i think and i think this is yes and i think there's um it's it's almost like kind of like a tip here as well which is like if something that i've seen is if players don't see any benefit from joining a faction or being a part of a faction they're probably going to go away from it despite how well developed this faction is if there isn't any tangible benefit for it either for their characters or if you're like a, a power gamer and like like new mechanics and stuff like that if there aren't either of those they're not really going to engage with it and i think one of the things about when you're designing factions in, in my opinion is there needs to be a way for players to interact with that faction Mm -hmm. There are ideas, there are obviously some factions that you don't want players to interact with at all. They just are there for the purposes of making a world work. But I think I would always suggest to try and push past that. Like, okay, what if the players did want to be part of, like, the police organization of this, like, government? What are the potential benefits to doing that? Um, and I think all the factions that I've designed have something unique to give to players. Like, the Eye of Ayun, they can potentially give access to spell to, to spell lists that their class doesn't have. So if you're a cleric, you could potentially learn, learn a wizard cantrip or a wizard spell if given enough time and practice. And I think just giving them, be like, there is reasons to go to these places, it brings mm -hmm. a lot more engagement to the players because they feel like, oh, wait, no, we can actually get stuff for, like, role-playing and, like, actually, like, climbing up the ladders and doing stuff for them. It's not just like, here's money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some players, that's motivation enough. For me, it True. wouldn't be. M money would not <laughs> yeah. be enough motivation for me. Um, but yeah, that, that's absolutely a fantastic tip. I think uh, the, way, the way I tend to do it is my factions tend to be a critical piece in the conflicts of the world. And that's kind of how mm -hmm. I force them onto my player. Like I say that <laughs> as, as if I'm for, you know, I, the central conflicts or the things that they want to be resolving in the mm -hmm. game tend to revolve around different entities, different factions right. clashing with one another because of, you know, they have different motivations or maybe they're both motivated to get the same thing, but they want to do go about it different ways. So the, the players tend to 
learn about these factions kind of through the resolution of their missions. So if if they're off to find a treasure, mm -hmm. as they're trying to find the treasure, they got to be secretive about it because if their map or the information or intel about it gets found out by, I don't know, the Thieves Guild, well, they might end up showing up where the treasure is and it's gone because mm -hmm. the thieves got to it first. Things like this. Um, or the central conflict. Usually your game will have a central conflict. Right. That the player, like a, a main Typically, mission yeah. or a the, the, main the story. The BBEG, as the memes say, or as everybody kind of talks mm. about, there's always that, always that central thing. Exactly. And I've always found it funny when the, the big bad is, you know, oh, the players are going to go beat the big bad. Obviously, there's other forces in your world that yeah. are conflicting against this person. The bad, the you know, whoever the bad is, they, they, they have a big enough organization that they're infringing on and stepping on and getting in the way of other organizations. So, mm -hmm. like, it's not just going to be the players going up against the bad guy. There's going to be all kinds of people that have vested interests. And and I... I really like making like almost like Venn diagrams or 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 like yeah. charts where it's like all the different groups and all the different factions, and then I try to purposefully put like their group A is against group B, but group B is against group C, and group C is against group A, and there's like this weird triangle mm -hmm. of power, and then from there you can kind of establish maybe why. But having these like complex relationships between the factions of your world, yeah, I, can I was be fun. actually. I kind of piggyback off that idea. I think relationships between factions is super important. I think mm. that's what makes, I think that's where you can get to like some really interesting interactions and make the world feel more alive. Because when I was making all my factions for like this own homebrew setting that I have, one of the questions I frequently got is like, okay, how does this faction feel about this faction? And it's a really good question to ask. Even if it's just like, oh, they don't agree with them. Why don't they agree with them? Where do their conflicts or where do their like goals align? Where do they not align? Will they be willing to work with them in a hypothetical situation? And thinking about those different things can help develop these complex interactions with each other. And I think it's super interesting to have that. You never really, in my opinion, you never really want a, a faction that is just like in a vacuum. If mm -hmm. there's a faction that just stands alone and does its own thing, but has no interaction with anything else, it's kind of like when are the players ever going to interact with that and how is that going to like interact with the entire world so i think having those interactions is super helpful and it's super interesting to see as well because it could be that like one person's from one of your players is from group a and one of your players is from group b and when they get to like interact and like both of their like factions interact it creates this whole interesting role play scenario it's like oh you're from here oh you're from here wow and you get to do that whole thing and i think yeah, yeah what you're bringing up about this interaction i think is crucial in developing factions yeah, abs absolutely. So, I mean, I think we're we're talking about faction development now, so we might as well mm -hmm. keep talking about it. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. No, no, it's, it's honestly it's, it's kind of the fun part of the conversation. So let's let's stick with it. Um, maybe I'll I'll start with something that I think is maybe a simple question, but mm -hmm. obviously the answer won't be as simple. But when when you build factions, mm -hmm. what where do you start? What's what's your uh, what's your creative process for faction building that's is it always good, the same <laughs> it's not always the same i think it's such a good question because for me it's like it's usually three different things um one is i have a cool aesthetic in mind how can i make this into a faction and mm. i will say that's been my <laughs> that's sometimes it doesn't work sometimes like i really want to make this cool aesthetic like possible but it doesn't fit sometimes i'm like no uh like for example 
and, like Solarmancy was one of the biggest things that I wanted to focus in on. And I made a whole faction around this ideal of Solarmancy and it fit really well into the world. So it's become this largely like, it's become like the empire, like kind of like idea. It's become like yeah, yeah. The, the typical Republic kind of thing, obviously some twists and turns in there. Um, but one, aesthetics, uh, just cause like sometimes I just want to try and nail for an aesthetic that I think would be cool to have. Uh, two, uh, would be almost always a direct answer to like a world question or like a direct answer to something like what is stopping this organization from existing? Who directly opposes this organization? Um, why is who uses this natural resource? Who has gained power from X, Y, and Z? Um, a lot of the times when I'm building like an overall world, when those questions pop up, a faction is an answer to those questions. And it's almost always like, so, uh, yeah, I think those are the biggest two things is like answering a question. Basically, it's like, oh, how did this happen? Oh, because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, what is X, Y, and Z? And then I start writing. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other one's aesthetics. I, I really, I like both of those like a whole lot. And I really, <laughs> the aesthetics really speaks to me because, you know, as much as we can ramble on about having complex relationships and depth to, to everything, it can have both, right? Like it can it can yeah, be complicated, sure. but it can be born from a place of like, man, I really, really, really want I don't know, some people who live in the mountain and only wear black because they're like vampirical people in the mountain. I don't know. That's I their mean, faction. That sounds pretty cool. It I don't know about cool. that. I, I don't mean I just came up with that now. It's, it's not, it doesn't really sound that cool. <laughs> but <laughs> we can make it into something, I'm sure. But you know, like you, you a wow factor. Like I really mm -hmm. want mechas. I'm in a fantasy world, but I want mechas. I want yeah, them to no. be like a, a group of people who are like steampunk. They build steampunk mechas. It's so cool. I want that moment. I want the like cinematic mecha flying in the sky scene to, you know, and and that can birth an entire adventure, an entire arc. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think part of the beauty of that, like I, I think part of the beauty of that is that your players can get that. The, the, the players, when you explain an aesthetic to them, they can visualize it. They can yeah. feel the, and it feels so much more real to them when they can picture the person that they're talking to, when they can picture sure. the headquarters that they're walking into. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, our job as a dungeon master is to help explain what the players are living. You know, we're yeah. the, the arbiter of the environment that they find themselves in. And what For better sure. way to do that than to give them something that they can let their imagination, like, just just go crazy with. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I think, like, as much as I try to make, like, original content that's, like, super interesting, we all have our inspirations. And I think mm. sometimes it's okay to lean into that. like. If I wanted to, like, for example, Ivayun is clearly inspired by Harry Potter and the wizard school thing, Strixhaven, um, Harry Potter, all that good yeah. stuff, Hogwarts. And it's something that's recognizable. And obviously, I've helped try and craft it into something that's my own. But players will have an understanding when they reach that. And seeing that aesthetic is, in some ways, comforting because it's something that they, they at least understand. Um, and I think using those aesthetic, like using a lawless, uh, like pirate city is cool. Like, I don't care if it's been overdone, man. It's cool. Yeah, I'll always people... be like a sucker for like things like Bilgewater and stuff like that. Yeah. There, there's a reason why they come back time and time again in like Hollywood movies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's stuff that people, people want to 
be a part of. People want to live in it. This is, you know, yeah. in the role playing game, might be the first time they get the chance to live out their dream of being a pirate. You know, it's a silly example, but um, <laughs> so yes, the aesthetic is super important. I, I think it enables very cinematic moments, especially mm -hmm. when you're trying to like, connect with your players uh, For sure. and, and facilitate that narrative. Uh, visualization of illustration of what you're trying to achieve in your game um but then i i you know your other your other example of how you mm -hmm. start answering a question i think is is can probably be dissected far more um if, so if well. i'm being honest like mm -hmm. a, a question can be like it can be anything <laughs> yeah no sure <laughs> it, it can be so much and, and I, I don't want that to sound as criticism i i agree with no, you no, I, think that, I think that's a good categorization um but if if i can if i can try to subdivide that a little bit i i think one question that often gets answered with a faction or at least in my in my games mm -hmm. is resources you know yes. resources are often something in the real world in history that people fight over they're often mm -hmm. things that people uh, you know different different entities will do trade with and ach acquire commodities from and, and it, it helps shape kind of the the personality and the kind of um, the society that mm -hmm. is built around that that particular resource so i think definitely when you're world building anyway, or when I'm world building, world building mm -hmm. I focus a lot on geography. I focus a lot on, you know, there'd be a mountain range here and because the mountain range is there, because of the plaque tectonics, there's going to be rain over here and it's going to be dry over there and there's going to be a desert and this and that and the other thing. And mm -hmm. when, when you get to that level of like geographic detail, mm -hmm. there's going to be certain resources that find themselves in these places. The place right. that has rain is going to have a forest, some kind of rainforest. What's in the rainforest? There's wood. There's maybe uh, crazy big monsters that can be tamed, and now you've got a place that has a great army. And then on the other side, where it's really dry, the, there's different resources that are valuable. Things mm -hmm. like water, things like maybe they've harnessed the power of the sun to do some cool magics and things like this. So mm -hmm. once you kind of establish what those resources are, you come up with the peoples and the factions that would kind of take advantage of those resources. Yeah, no, for sure. And then how they how they interact with, like, you've got the people that lack water but have cool sun magic, and then you've got the other people that have way too much water to know what to do with, but they've got cool monster armies. What do you, how, how, how would do they, that... How do they interact? How do they trade? Yeah. How do they do it? Do they go to war? Do they, do they come to an agreement? Yeah, no, that's super good point. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is definitely how i've done a lot of things is like resources what do they have that others don't or what are they lacking and i think going into those ideas i think i can't go i don't go that deep into geography because in my brain i was like i'll explain it with magic which is not a good thing <laughs> you should go list pay attention to geography if you can it makes the world more real and, and grounded but um I, i've definitely thought about that where it's like okay if this is if i'm making an organization that's entirely built in a mountain what resources will they have and what resources will they need um and i think going into that will also help again not having them establish in a vacuum um it'll help them interact with the world around them and it begins to establish like okay there's a logical reason why these people are here and why these people are here and then i think going into all those details i think was is very interesting and very cool 
Yeah, and, and then I then sometimes I do the opposite, <laughs> where I have like a plot point in my narrative, and I'm like, hmm, there needs to be something against this. <laughs> yeah, who who's gonna be against this? And then I kind of like backtrack and create a faction to fill a void, and then and then I come up with all the other the motivations and the resources mm-hmm. and the why they why they come into existence. But really, it's because I have a need for this entity. To, right like to put pressure on the party to put pressure mm-hmm. on uh the bad guy or the or another good faction you, you know sometimes this happens where as the players explore and and have their own ideas and one person i don't know they really want there to be a brewing brewing faction where you can go and drink all the beer you want and like learn about hops and like ridiculous things like this <laughs> which has happened before to be <laughs> nice <laughs> so, Never thought so I had we, to research beer for like the past two hours but hey here i am yeah exactly so you know we created like a distillery brewery that's like, awesome faction it was super cool they got like a VIP voucher where they could get all the beers they wanted for free as long hey. as it was, it was that particular brand. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. But then it kind of got wonky where I had to ask myself, you know, where did this come from? Like, what? Mm-hmm. Where did they get all the all the materials to make their beer? Who's drinking all of this beer? Like, <laughs> why is there such a? Yeah, yeah. So I came up with. A blacksmithing like faction that mm-hmm. everyone in it has like a I don't, they, they drink a whole lot and they have a hard day mm. at work so they'd go and they drink at the brewery and it created this like symbiotic relationship. Mm. Now, this is maybe a silly example, but I think I it think, illustrates the point, right? That yeah, I, I I think especially when making factions, ask questions. Um, and I think one of the biggest resources that I had when I was making a lot of world building, um, cause I, I did it as my capstone in college or when I was getting my bachelor's. Um, and I had this, this sort of consultant that always came and was thankfully he knew D and D, but he always would just read my stuff and he'd just ask questions. It was very little critique. It was mostly just like, okay, why is this here? Who's opposing them? Why do they have this? Where do they get the stone from? You mentioned nice and quartz uh, pillars here. They live in a forest. Where do they get that? And I'm like, okay. And, I think it's it's something that you it's something that I I can't stress enough. Yeah, ask questions about your own factions. Like, okay, what do these people think about that? Who's opposing them? Where do they get these things? Why are they doing these things? And going into all those details. And some of them may never be answered by the players or may never come up logically from the players, but I think having a deeper understanding of how a faction works, um, where it functions and all that kind of stuff can help feel make it feel more grounded because then suddenly it feels like a real place it feels like a real thing because you have these answers for these like minutiae of questions and i think that helps suspend their uh what's the term it it helps suspend their disbelief um or yeah 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 yeah. it it makes them feel like oh this can exist and stuff like that awesome um have you ever had a faction like blow up in your face Ooh. um let me see here i think Yes. Um, I had, I think overall, I really liked doing this arc, which was like, it's called the Brass Haven City arc is what I called it because it was an entire faction or entire city based around this fact that there's this magical brass that is like basically acts as a natural plus one to all weapons and stuff, but it's not magical. Um, and it only comes from this area. And the players eventually found out that the reason why it's magical is because there's a brass dragon that's trapped underneath the city and its blood runs through everything. Um, but part of 
<laughs> part of the thing to help people from not establishing this was the idea that the city was anti-magic. There was no magic allowed, and I didn't think about it a lot, but my players poked holes in it immediately. Um, and they were, like, I, they had so many questions about things, and I was like, I can't. I like I couldn't answer it and I had no idea what to say because they really were like this doesn't make sense and I, in my mind I was like you're right this doesn't <laughs> I had to try and think of stuff on the on the fly but I think that was the biggest thing because like I want to try and make it a challenging situation for them so that I won't have it where you can't cast magic in public and they're like okay why okay who's gonna stop us like okay like I'll just like who it's like they had some like I think I I had like an anti magic field at one point somewhere and they're like okay who made this and I was like you're right and I didn't know an answer to that <laughs> yeah that I mean it, honestly it sounds like a really cool premise um it's a it's a shame that they poke so many holes in it but yeah you know sometimes that happens honestly I'm trying to think of the amount of times that it failed and I've had so many factions. <laughs> just like not work out um mm -hmm. but i i think one way to avoid this is for the factions like there's what we've been talking about where you know you've got the factions all laid out you've got mm -hmm. interactions set up got motivations set up mm -hmm. but I, I think leaving gaps in your factions to enable like impromptu response to these questions and still remain consistent is something that people should do more often. It's something I should do more often. Like I'm saying it as if I do it all the time and I don't. But <laughs> but yeah, like you define the main pillars of your faction. Mm -hmm. But you might not know if your players are going to be super engaged with that faction. You know, sure. they might interact with it for two games and then they might be like, "Ah, whatever. Yeah. I don't I don't care about this. I I don't care about this like circus. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't it's care about this magic circus like who cares like there's dumb let's go on to something else so if, you're if, hoping, like something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury just like sitting there like this was a whole dark circus arcus and you guys just ignored it <laughs> but you know like it, it can happen mm -hmm. i mean most yeah. players are the players i play with tend to be respectful mm -hmm. enough of my, like my creative my creative <laughs> things right? that they they like entertain me for just long <laughs> enough and then they like then they go somewhere else but um Maybe that's a different strategy, but I, I think when you're building a faction, mm -hmm. just like when you're building anything in mm -hmm. a in a as a game master, you don't want to be too prescriptive in how you create it. You know, maybe you have a rough idea of of size, rough idea of of the the people in charge, one or two NPCs that are related to that faction, and see if they bite. Like, see if the players care, and if they care, then okay, what's the headquarters like? What are go all the, on. like, yeah, go go on, like, full tilt. Maybe not full tilt, but, you know, make the next layer of this faction. Right. So that as they progressively learn more and more about it through the different quests that they're taking, you can add more and more layers to make it more and more relevant because they seem to like it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's... Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Uh, that's... I totally agree with that, and I think I need to do that more often because I really go, like... I really like go into like all these small details that like the amount of time those details have come up is like almost never. Um, and I think sometimes it isn't super helpful, especially because at the end of the day, I want to make a, a session that's engaging for the players. And mm. if my time was spent world building all these details on this faction that they're never going to meet, but less time prepping for the actual session, the session itself isn't going to improve because of the world building I did. Um, it's still going to be not as engaging. And I think 
so long as you have the core ideals of the faction, I think that's the biggest thing because you can fill in those gaps pretty easily if you have an understanding of what the faction stands for. If you understand yeah, yeah. like what their goals are, what the general thing that they're about is, then you can probably reasonably make something up impromptu that makes sense, that begins to go through that. With the example of Brasshaven, I didn't really have the big ideas there. I just had these are some of the results of the ideas, and mm. there was because I needed because I needed the results to be there. I needed there to be an anti magic field, and then it was clear that I didn't have those big ideas answered. So they were able to be like, "Wait, no, that doesn't make sense." Um, and I think if I just had established like, "Wait, no, who made this in the first place?" As simple as that, it would have made that time a little bit easier. And I think having those big pillars, I think, will be good. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely important. Um and it makes sure that they stay relevant, right? It cuz I've I've definitely done the same thing where I was like, "Oh, I really want to make this faction. I'm going to make this whole trading guild. They're going to like have a a succession where like the the old guy who's in charge is sick and he's going to die and his son's a little brat and the little brat's going to take over and he's got his minions and it was like a faction within a faction." Mm-hmm. But, but but then the players didn't care. <laughs> like they <laughs> They, they came to this trading town, they got the stuff they needed, and they went on their merry way. And, like, I tried to create instances where they, like, they saw the little bratty, like, heir to the trading guild interact with his father in a rude way and, like, had, an, like, a social interaction. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, like, they dissolved it. They had, they had a couple of good roles. They dissolved it. They didn't, like, feel the need to become friends with these people or, or like, mm-hmm. associate themselves with them. And they went on to kill the bandits in the next town. You know, like they didn't, I, I didn't do a good enough job to integrate that faction into the plot because I worked too hard making the faction. I had all these like grandiose plans about the faction, but had I just kind of left it this empty shell with a few points that we shine light on in the game mm-hmm. and then looped it back together to what they were doing later or to the things that they showed interest in, um, maybe that faction would have lived a lot longer and I wouldn't have spent so much time creating it for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think looping into the players, um, I think is, uh, and I I definitely agree with what you're saying here, and I think looping it into the players is the one of the biggest things, because again, like, at the end of the day, D&D is like, or specifically D&D or role-playing games, it's about an interaction between you and the players, and ultimately, in in my mind, I'm a very player-focused DM. I care about what the players are doing and if they can make moments for their stories and i'm just helping tell those stories through this world that we've made and i think if the factions or if a faction doesn't really interact with the players it's like what's the point and i I think like although yes you can have some things that like answer some bigger questions like oh why does this like organization exist up here i think there needs to be some kind of tie into the characters like why do the characters care about this faction why do the players care about this faction how can you make it interesting for them and i think mm-hmm. at the end of the day i think those are questions that really matter just because it's about the game it's about the game as all as a whole and i think focusing on that and looping back to that i think is always good yeah yeah and and you know we, we talked a lot about what factions are what they bring to the game mm-hmm. uh, some of our strategies for using them but i, I think maybe i should have said this at the beginning but I want to say factions are one of the most critical pieces of a game. You know, you've got your players and their objectives and the things that they are setting out to do. But I feel like factions have such an important role in delivering NPCs, 
motivations, obstacles, quests, uh, progression, connections to the world. Like factions are like this conduit for so many parts of the game that are so sure. important. Um, that, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have thought of this until we talked about it, but I just, I can't get over how many things factions actually kind of can touch on. Yeah, no, for um, sure. I, in thinking back, yeah, you're totally right. Uh, like, yeah, that, that is how interactions happen within the world. That's how you introduce different plot points and things like that. It's like, I think also on another light, it allows for a lot of really cool roleplay, I think, between players and what factions they identify with and which factions they want to be with. Like, like as a, like again, hi, I'm a critical world nerd. If I say like I'm part of the Kryn dynasty and I'm a Dunamancer, versus I say I'm a time wizard that comes from the ground, it's like or I that comes from like a town, there's a lot more weight with saying I'm a Dunamancer in the Kryn dynasty because that to me is like, oh, you have a past in this faction. You have a past with these kinds of people. And that shows us immediately like what kind of individuals you're engaged with, how you're interacting with that space, and what potential NPCs you can talk with versus saying, I'm a time wizard from a town. There's no real like interaction there with the world. And I think being involved with factions, I've seen at least, helps people feel grounded in that world. They feel less of maybe like a self-insert or a character just jumping into a world, but more of, no, I've existed in this world. I've grown up here and I know these people here, here, and here. That's a fantastic point. And I think it gives players... It gives players a, a creative freedom too, right? To to be involved. If you're the game master, that's okay with this. Like I, I really like having my players be involved in the creation of the world that they're playing in. So mm -hmm. when when they say they want to be in a certain faction, if I haven't created one yet, or if I have, and I'm like, well, what about this other one? Like, what about this? Like, let's say someone wants to do like dark magic. I'm like, ah, there mm -hmm. isn't really dark magic in the world, but there's like voodoo magic. That's like maybe you could consider that dark magic if you if you like took a certain path. I don't know. Do you want do you want to do that? And they're like, oh yeah, that sounds really cool. Can I like? And then you, let's work together to create like sure. the underbelly of the voodoo magic society that that you know considers themselves to be dark, dark, dark shamans or whatever. Well, yeah. that's so cool. And now you got this other person involved, and like you can you can work together and bounce ideas off of each other to create this space. It's uh, it it makes them feel involved as a character, mm -hmm. and it makes them feel involved as a player, which I yes, think is important. Certain. Yeah, I think really trying to I always try and encourage whenever I'm making new characters with players, and it's been difficult since having starting too many campaigns, but I'm always trying to make it a note to be like, I would highly encourage you to integrate within one of the factions, or let me know what your ideas are, so you have some connections there, because it makes you feel more like connected. I guess like mm -hmm. one of my players. He's in the Eye of Iyun, and their character is really cool because they're in it as almost a fraud. They're in it for themselves <laughs> to gain as much knowledge as possible for themselves, which is directly contradicting for what the Eye of Iyun wants. But throughout his journey through there, they've made friends within the Eye of Iyun, and it's becoming this situation where they have this very selfish idea, but they're surrounded by people who are friends with this individual, and he's friends with them, but their ideals are probably different than theirs. And I think mm -hmm. it's creating for these interesting interactions. And if he was just like an erudite who just wanted to learn more and he wasn't interacting with the faction, none of those little role-playing moments would have really happened. And I think 
he's adding to that space and I'm starting to like think about, okay, what under lesson are going to try and look into this? Which under lesson does he need to worry about? Which under lesson will maybe agree with them? And I think it creates these interesting dynamics that wouldn't have been possible. And that character could have very well been standalone, but because I helped them insert it into this faction and I worked together with him and we started to like, okay, here's how we can do these different things. It creates for much more uh, like a grounded character and it makes these interactions possible. And it makes the interactions more believable, right? It, it, yeah, for sure. If you kind of know what you're getting yourself into because you know that the people of your of your faction, of the Eye of Ayun, have certain beliefs, they have certain motivations, well, you can kind of... It primes the players for what kind of roleplay they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we're not professional actors, so nope. priming your players for the roleplay that they're going to get tends to be a good thing. You know? If you surprise them with something, they might be too shocked or too like nervous or they might not know how to react. And taking that time to process how they're going to react is going to negatively impact the role play that they're that they're kind of putting out at the table, the mm-hmm. scene that they're going to that they're going to have with your NPC. So, yeah, priming them, kind of getting a sense of how they're going to, you know, the person how the person's going to react is mm-hmm. a really good thing. Um I've also had really nice interactions with factions, like you're saying, when they're related to the backstory. Because usually you have a kind of some tropes that you can lean on. Maybe there's like a mentor in the faction that this person knows. Maybe there's a kind of a best friend or a rival that they've that they've spent a lot of their childhood pitting up against and, and competing with. So when you have these these factions that have these motivations. And then you have NPCs that are linked to the player and to the faction. You create this like perfect trifecta for roleplay because for sure you've got the expectations of who the characters are and what their motivations are because they're in this faction. But you also have the background as it relates to the player character. So they kind of have this easy win, if you will, uh, like a trump card for when they want to have a fun interaction when they want to. You know, maybe let some steam off and complain about another player character, or complain about something that's going on in the world, or 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 like stress out about the monster that almost killed them. Mm-hmm. They they have these people they can go back to that are kind of like comfort comfort food role play. If yeah, that no, makes sense. Sure. No, I I totally feel that because it's funny you bring that up. One that character I was just talking about, one T Ivy, and their name is Akasha, by the way. Um, they just met with one of their old colleagues in a place where they didn't mean to meet, and it's becoming a new facet of role-playing, of how this this player is role-playing Akasha, because now they have this interaction with the character that is this comfort kind of character. And the, the, the character's like, they're basically like, bro-thor kind of there, but he's like, knowledge? <laughs> so he's super loud, super outgoing, and everyone's like, you're friends with this person, Akasha? And Akasha's like, yeah, and it's becoming this, it is becoming this like comfort role-play, where Akasha's now be, being able to talk about some of the situations that's happened late in the campaign with a character that she would be more familiar with and because of that it leads to these yeah comfort interactions where it's able to be like we're learning more about akasha's character through these interactions and this player is starting to experience akasha in a more in a light that wasn't really possible because maybe they they were a little more standoffish with the current group but with this character they're a lot more comfortable and i think just these small interactions that you can have with just having backgrounds is super important and super interesting and it makes for 
cool moments. Uh, the other players, they weren't really talking during some of this, but they were still kind of engaged. They were like, whoa, you know this person. This is a new side of Akasha, and they're able to see these genuine interactions that are just, just fun. Yeah, it's a great tool. It's a great tool, and that sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, I, I wonder how that relationship... Like, Do you have plans for uh, you know, changing <laughs> that relationship, or are you going to leave it as this comfort it's uh, probably going to change because this it's uh it's I am very thankful for this player because he sent me a whole like he sent me a page basically about this this NPC and he's like, here are the summer general goals, here's why he does this, here are some of his motivations. And I think he's intentionally created some dissonance between this main care this like NPC's like overall big picture questions and Akash's big picture questions. And they only know each other on kind of a surface level other than like we were like classmates. We were peers. We studied together and we worked hard together. But I think they're going to start to get to a point where they realize that some of their bigger questions don't really mix. Akasha's more of a not, I wouldn't say she's a very good intention, doesn't have a lot of good intentions for a lot of big stuff. This other guy has almost only good intentions in his heart. Um, mm -hmm. Very himbo, very good, very nice. And I think as they're starting to they get closer, there's going to be some dissonance there. And I think I'm excited for when that does happen. But I, I could go on and on about interactions between players and NPCs. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, maybe that's maybe we're, we're on a tangent, but that, that is cool. That's an <laughs> interesting growth opportunity for that character too, right? For mm -hmm. for Akasha to maybe maybe change, maybe challenge their, maybe. Their, their morals. But anyway, yeah. Um, So let's go back to factions. We're... Right. <laughs> how 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 long has it been? I'm just checking my clock. We're at almost 50 minutes. We can keep going, but that's just to keep ourselves aware. Yeah. Let's let's maybe change gears and talk more about strategies. You know, strategies mm -hmm. for faction building, strategies for maintaining uh, mm -hmm. interesting factions. W whatever you want, whatever you can think of, I'll, I'll throw you I'll throw you the mic. What uh, yeah. what makes what's a strategy you like to employ? When it when you were creating or or running factions or, or things like this, so something is that too broad. <laughs> you no, know, that no, I, okay. I I can definitely work with this, and I think we've brought up a lot of really good points about how to start factions with resources, aesthetics, and I think talking about the geography is something really interesting. I think it's a really good place to start. And one of the biggest tips I have is put your factions on the breaking point or put them teetering on the edge of some event because I, I think like. There's a, if you see a faction that's doing well and dandy, that's great and all, and that's cool, but if they're about to go into some event, something really big is about to happen, and they could potentially intervene or let it happen, that creates a much more interesting dynamic with the players. So I would always try and suggest, put your factions in an area of change, or they're going through change, or something is happening. Because it makes it a lot more dynamic, where they feel like, oh, that is a potential story thread that they could go into. If there's a faction that's just standalone here, although they have interactions with other factions, but they're in a stable place, there isn't really a reason for players to interact with that faction unless they have like ties within it. But if there's something going on there, they're about they're about to like increase tenfold. There's about to be a change in leadership that's going to drastically change the past, um, and or they're about to discover a new spell that will like change the entire city those are points where players can really move into and that can create an adventure. And you don't have to create the whole adventure immediately. You can just have that idea. So that way they could, if they like that, they can latch onto that and sort of work with that. And that's one of the biggest things that I make when, or one of the things I try to focus on when making factions is, again, player interaction. I think that's a really good way to do that is those, have them in that unstable situation. 
I think that is amazing. That, that is like a hundred percent. That's fantastic advice. <laughs> it, it's not interesting if they're, if the factions in their prime and everybody's ob- abiding by the, like, you know, the five code of five code <laughs> of conduct for the, you know, the, the fighting faction, the fight, the fighters pit or whatever. Like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. You, you want there to be like, a, a rebellion in the next two weeks <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you want exactly. you want there to be something that the players can help tip or prevent from like you know yeah absolutely and and players want like players want to engage with the world that's why yeah, they're there yeah. they're there to engage with the world they're there mm-hmm. for their impact to be felt if you mm-hmm. put them in a, in a situation where they can go get an artifact that's super important for wizard a and if he gets it, he can overthrow Wizard B and become the new chair of the like, I don't know, time timekeepers. <laughs> well, then, man, the players are gonna do it. <laughs> like, yeah, for they, sure, they're gonna do it. They're gonna engage with that. It's too juicy for them not to, unless exactly. they like, unless they know you want them to do that, then they won't do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I I agree with you. That is a fantastic strategy to employ, and and I think. If I can, if I can take that and even like maybe a different strategy, but related to that mm-hmm. is when you're building your factions, I like to try to make the factions have this, these different agents within it. So mm-hmm. especially if it's big enough, you know, if it's big enough to have a tipping point or a big change or something on the verge of happening, I, I like to try to have different sub factions within it. So yeah. have have a couple of NPCs who are on the side that are for whatever's coming and a couple of people who are against it. And don't decide who's right or who's the morally better one or who's the, you know, just kind of leave it at that. See who the players interact with. See who they engage with, who they like in the faction. And then start developing that further. Um, you can also do this with like smaller scale npcs by having like little minion type people that kind of foreshadow the behavior of the people above them Mm -hmm. so that you don't necessarily need to fully flesh out the like i don't know the the big chieftain (laughs) woman who's responsible for this entire tribe but you can have the person who's like who loves her to death and thinks she's the coolest leader they've ever had and then the other person who's complaining about her, and and that kind of seeds the different like dynamics. So right. so having kind of like diverging opinions in a faction can be a lot of fun. I no totally agree with that, and I think also one of the reasons why Brasshaven I think failed a little bit is because no one thought the anti magic rule was bad. I didn't have anyone <laughs> who disagreed with that, and I think that would have given an opportunity for players to interact with that. And I think having dissenting opinions or just different ways that they think things should be done is good. Um, just because very rarely will you find entire cities that are just echo chambers. Mm-hmm. People have different opinions. People have different life experiences and things like that. And it only makes sense that we have different opinions. Um, and I think having those separate parts that aren't fully flushed out, but at least there, I think is good. Because also, yeah, you get to get a litmus test of what the players are interested in and how they want to interact with it. Um, you can obviously go into more detail if need be, but I think 
having those separate opinions is really solid. Um, and I, I definitely need to include it more because it's like it creates depth within the environment. It doesn't make or depth within the faction. It doesn't make it feel like this is the thieves guild. They steal stuff. This is the thieves guild. Here's a Robin Hood figure. Here's a person who wants to hold like a criminal underground syndicate. Immediately, we have this much more nuanced version because of some of the individuals within. And I think mm-hmm. having the dissenting opinions, if you can include them, I think is always going to create more depth and more interaction for players. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It helps them pick a side. It helps them make a choice. I think choice is an important part of any game. So yeah, I yeah. for sure. Um, something that I would be remiss to not talk about because before we <laughs> recorded, you said you wanted to talk about this. Oh. So maybe I'll, I'll throw you a question about sure. this. Um, in my experience, when we're creating factions, especially on the fly, especially you know when you don't have enough time on your hands to prep something cool, we often lean on stereotypes. We often lean on existing tropes in media. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those existing tropes have bad things contained within them. Things right. like stereotypes, things like... Um, I don't know, racialization that isn't necessarily mm-hmm. appropriate, or definitely not appropriate. So I, I, I was wondering if you wanted to share your thoughts on how people could avoid that. What, what we can do as game masters when we're creating our factions to educate ourselves to prevent that from happening as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate you asking that question. I think it's a good question to kind of like talk about here. And I think, obviously, so when I'm playing games and when I'm running games, I don't really like release them i don't record them or anything like that but i'm still trying to use them as a platform to try and do better in that sense um and i think the biggest suggestion i would have is where did the stereotype come from and think about okay if you're going to be basing this off of an idea what are the inspirations behind it if i want to make a pirate city where did i get those ideas from it may involve a little bit of research but if you find that it was it was stemming from a problematic situation try and subvert that um i think one of the biggest things that i found especially in like i'm not sure it's as much here or as much before but one of the common things i found again in doing factions is this idea of exoticism or kind of like fetishization of sort of eastern cultures or cultures that are not western and i think being aware of those prejudices and stereotypes that exist because when you look at media that's been portrayed in the past, especially in sort of um, America or sort of Europe, there was this very clear fetishization and exoticism of Eastern cultures of, and things like that. And be aware of what of those are true or what, what of those exotic, what of those are literally exoticizations, not or exoticism, what are not real things about that culture and what mm-hmm. is real about that culture. Just doing basic research if you can. You don't have to be perfect. Obviously, there are some mistakes that will slip through the cracks, but I think it's good to do some research to be like, okay, I'm actively trying to not showcase stereotypes. I'm trying to showcase they are acting this way because of this logical thing that's happening. Um, If you're just relying on stereotypes, chances are there's something problematic that is about them. And I think just having an active mind about that of, okay, why am I doing this? Um, Why does this exist? Just the matter of that's those two simple questions will usually allow you to auto-correct in some of those areas. And that's kind of the biggest thing that I've kind of that's helped me because a lot of my factions are based on Eastern cultures. Um, I've drawn a lot of inspiration from sort of Japanese architecture and things like that. And so I've done research on, okay, what's the architecture like and why was it made that way? 
um, mm-hmm. and kind of trying to do a little bit of research there and modify some things. So I'm not just saying it's like this. There's reasoning behind it. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, that's, that sounds like not only a more respectful way of doing something, but it also sounds like a great way to get inspiration, right? These, there are documents outlining the architecture used in Japan or in, in like different periods of Japanese history. Mm-hmm. Same thing applies for most, for most places. You can find, yeah, sure. especially landscape and architecture and buildings and things like this. Like you, you can find a lot of like scholar articles about mm-hmm. this. Um, I remember I was creating, you know, in my in one of in this pirate game that I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. there is like a Polynesian inspired villages and and mm-hmm. peoples who live in these villages. Um, there were some really great articles that I found out of the uh, out of a university in New Zealand that were written by Polynesian people that talked about their people and the architecture and the the boats and the amazing like naval vessels that they created mm-hmm. man i couldn't have thought up that stuff it was so amazing it made yeah, my no, job sure. as a game master a million times easier <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's i would encourage people to take inspiration from other cultures and that's okay just make sure you're not appropriating it you're not trying mm-hmm. to do it in a disrespectful way and you're doing it to and you're not doing it in a disrespectful way. And I think what you're doing is awesome. That's taking inspiration and using things that are exist in real life to make these wonderful things. And I think that's awesome. And I think keep doing that. Do some, it doesn't have to be a ton of research, especially if you're, if you're going to be posting out online, you're going to be sharing with other people, do more research, I would say. It's always better to do that. But if you're going to do it with just your friends, I think still doing the research will be good. Um, just because again, it helps, it helps change. Because right now I think, fantasy gaming uh, I, or like tabletop gaming and tabletop role playing it has a past and it uses a lot of um it's had issues with that and i think just as a dm i'm trying to showcase that we're moving into a new era and that these aren't crutches that we need to lie on anymore we can take inspiration from things but we're not gonna we're not gonna twist it around and i'm trying to like be that person moving forward and i encourage other dms to do the same it's not that much effort it's just searching some things up and trying to be respectful yeah yeah no i think that's a very important message so i i would definitely echo and encourage everybody listening uh, to do the same thing and if you feel like you're unsure about whether or not what you're doing warrants more research or, or warrants research at all if you're asking the question you probably should you probably should look it up so go you know yeah. Go find go find some articles. Go look at like Google Scholar or something, and, and see what you can find. Go to the go to the old good old fashioned library and find yourself something. <laughs> I don't know, but anyway, I, I echo the sentiment. I think it's it's important, and we're definitely in a new wave, um, a new wave of of tabletop RPGs with new voices that mm. we should listen. Yes, to. awesome. <laughs> we're we're going in the right direction. It's wonderful to hear. Isles of Cena Una is amazing. Again, that's I just really quickly just want to say like that that whole work is awesome by HTTP Paladin and some other individuals that are all um Filipino individuals and it's awesome that they're creating a tabletop setting that's based in Filipino culture and as a Filipino that's awesome. And I think we're starting to get into this new era where we're going to bring inspiration from all these different wonderful places and cultures. And it's awesome to do that. We just want to make sure we're doing a good job of it and we're being respectful of the cultures that are out there. Absolutely. C- can you repeat the name of that? Of that? Is it a supplement? Um, yeah, it's, a, it's the Isles of Sina Una. 
Um, I'm hope I saying I'm saying it right. I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, but yeah, it's called the Islands of Sina Una. It's from Hit Point and Press. Um, I think I forget his name, but on Twitter he's called HTTP Paladin. HTTP Paladin. Um, he's been working on it for a while, and um, all the writers on there are of um, if I'm not mistaken, of Filipino descent or are uh, Filipino in some nature because they wanted to make sure because the entire book is based around um, Filipino folklore and mythology and things like that. Um, they were featured on Critical Role very briefly, but again, I've been following their stuff for a little bit because I'm like, oh, wow, I don't see a lot of Filipino like representation a lot just because mm -hmm. I grew up in America and I'm I'm largely white passing. So like I haven't experienced a lot of that world and it's really refreshing to see that. So I'm always like, ah, check this out, guys. It's cool. It yeah, that mixes my awesome. two interests. <laughs> sweet, sweet. Um, did you have anything else to add to about that? Uh, not that about, I can immediately think of. And, no, okay, awesome, cool. Well, thank thank you for sharing your insights. Yeah. Um, and before we wrap up the show, I wanted to ask you if there were any other thoughts that you had about factions that you didn't get a chance to say. Any anything that uh, uh, one last tip or or mm. uh, takeaway that you want people to 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 listen? Like at the end of this episode, if they can retain one thing about factions, what what should that thing be? Hmm, I don't know. I think we've gone over a lot of really good stuff. I think just the main thing is, again, world building's great and all, but, like, what matters is the players. Maybe that's just me, but, like, how the players interact with factions is the biggest thing. So I think taking some of the things we've said here, specifically, like, having factions teeter on the edge, having dissenting voices within factions, and um, thinking about how they're going to interact with players, I think, is good. Because at the end of the day, you can do as much world building. You can make... It's like, if you're going to do all the purposes of world building but you're not going to introduce the players write a book um mm. there's if you're the D or any tabletop game is designed with players and active play in mind so at the end of the day have the factions interesting for the players have them interact with it give them opportunities to interact with the factions that's the biggest thing i just want to have as a takeaway yeah yeah and if i can add to that i i would encourage people to have a little bit of everything when they create their factions have some that are fully fleshed out have some that aren't uh, you know, some of them you don't have to even settle on the size. You know, you introduce a few characters in passing in the town. If the players ask questions about that faction, they might not know. They might be might be something that they're just not familiar with. You can figure it out later. You know, it it doesn't all. You don't have to have all your answers about your factions right away. Just do the things that Koa mentioned. Intersect with the players. Intersect with the objectives by making the faction be an obstacle to their objective or a, a facilitative agent that can get them get them there faster if they maybe do a side quest for them. You know, have these ways to hook the players into the faction. And if they bite, that's when you can spend more time creating the faction more, fleshing out the characters within it, and have these, you know, these dissenting voices and things like this that can that can make it even more interesting and, and more dynamic. Um the one last thing motivation i think we we didn't totally talk about it but we implied right. it motivation in a faction is super important otherwise why does it exist i mean maybe yeah. maybe to collect those resources but why are they collecting those what what is the intent or purpose of the faction and that usually try to keep it simple try to keep it straightforward and then mm -hmm. have all of the npcs that the players interact with kind of like teeter on that like they don't have to follow it to a t you know they can they can have a few a few places where they branch off and and have their own opinions on because that 
adds flavor and dimension to uh, to the faction. For sure. Um, yeah, goals are super important. Again, like it could be as simple as that. Like for example, the Ivayun that I have, it's a super it's a super complex organization. But at the end of the day, their goal is very simple: collect as much knowledge as possible. Or another one I call it the Claw of Bahamut. Their whole goal: kill all chromatic dragons. That's it. They have all these like maybe different parts, but having an individualized goal at the end of the day, why are they doing these things is always really good because then it, it it you'll use that to frame other things about it. Okay, why does this NPC exist to match with this and so on and so forth. It, it, having those again, big pillars are the most important things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you, Koa, for being on the show. Of course. Uh, it was, it was an amazing me. conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the show so last minute. Um, no worries. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for sort of featuring me, this small-time creator just getting into the TTRPG world. <laughs> my, my, my absolute pleasure. It was a great conversation. If anybody listening wanted to, to look into your stuff, where could they find your content? Where can they find you on socials? Uh, and is there anything else? You know, now is your time to plug all the things oh, that you want to plug. Oh boy. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at, at Koa the DM, and you'll find a lot of my stuff under Koa the DM. Um, I have a Patreon, which is also Koa the DM. Um, and then I have a Reddit, which I think is also Koa the DM. The Reddit post is where I basically post almost everything I do on Patreon, but the Patreon has added content. Everything's revised, and it's a compendium of everything I've ever created. Um, but Reddit is where you'll find discussion about some of the homebrew I post. But basically, I post every Wednesday. Um, I'm try to be active on twitter but it's getting more difficult uh but mainly that's about it uh yeah twitter patreon and sort of reddit the main thing is patreon if you can follow me on patreon that'd be great if you're interested in my content you're more than welcome to sort of give it a look and what kind of what kind of stuff are you working on right now if you if you can give if you're if you can Ooh, give it away what what kind of I think right now what i'm actually what i'm deciding on working on is i think i'm going to at least i think one or two more subclasses just to have it uh, on the back burner but i think i'm working on um, essentially like five or six new downtime activities that are going to match what's listed in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So it includes new lists and tables and reasons to do stuff that'll include like, because one of the things as a player and as a DM is that there's not a lot of downtime activities that players are interested in. So I'm doing stuff like fishing, or not fishing, but like resource gathering, mining to get your own gems or sort of raw resources. Um, I think meditation, long-term sort of healing options to remove permanent injuries or to change different parts about your alignment that you maybe got from a cursed magic item. So that's the biggest thing on the horizon, I think, is doing this new, a bunch of new downtime activities that basically work the same as the ones in Xanthar. So you can just throw them in there with cool. not a lot of change. That's awesome. Yeah. So go check it out, guys. Go find Quad the DM on, the, on Twitter and everywhere else. And uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. If you guys had questions for me, you can always reach me at roll underscore play underscore chat on Twitter. I try to be there. I try to limit the time that I'm on there because I'm on there too much. And uh, <laughs> I just recently discovered that you could schedule tweets. Man, that makes my life so much easier. But anyway. <laughs> I should probably uh, use that feature. Oh, uh, it just. And, and then people answer and you can like respond back. But then, you know, if you got a good 20 minutes to just hunker down get all your thoughts down anyway i'm, I'm rambling you uh <laughs> you could also find me if, if you could also send me longer longer conversation pieces or questions uh at gmail if you want so that's contact roleplaychat at gmail.com um and kwa if you don't mind i'm gonna do a little bit of housekeeping because i haven't done the yeah, housekeeping sure. for the show in a while but um 
this is actually going to be one of the last episodes for the year. I might have one more or two more. We'll we'll see how that goes. But I'm thinking of taking a little bit of a break for Christmas time, for the new year, and then kickstarting the show in season three, probably in February, mid-February, mid-February, something like that. So, you know, don't worry. The show is not going to be gone if after Qua or Koa, sorry, Koa, uh, no, after Koa, there's you know one episode more, and, and then and then that's that's all you hear from me. Uh, on you know the podcast realm for a little while, but I'm taking a mental health break, and I'll be right back once uh, once you know the holidays are over, and I am able to record more content to edit and post on onto you know iTunes and stuff like that. So that's that's my housekeeping, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stay active on Twitter and and all that. So if you want to reach out to me, you can still do that there. Uh, and last but not least, if you can share the show with your friends i would highly recommend it and encourage you to do it it makes you know it really helps makes the show go a long way we uh we do this i do this out of the kindness of my heart you know i don't get paid or have any advertisements or anything like that but i do it for the gratification of meeting fun people like koa and you know you know the, the the listeners listening so if you can spread the love i'd appreciate it um, and yeah, and that's it. So I hope you guys had a fun conversation. Any parting words for the audience, Koa? Um, thank you for having me, and I'm so glad to be here and get to faction building. <laughs> yeah, build those factions, make them fun, have a brewing faction in your, hey. home, in your home game. <laughs> make your blacksmiths are dependent on it. Yeah, yeah, let's see, let's see that happen. Uh, thanks, everybody. Let's call it a chat.